0: Hey church, welcome to an online worship service. I hope you enjoyed last week's blooper reel opening. We do not have another one of those for you this week, at least I hope. In fact, uh, I had one of those days today where it was like I knew that this uh, session of recording our worship was gonna come and I just was like, I don't wanna. I just had a bad day, had a bad attitude. There was like an appliance repair issue and it was just like,
1: "Eh, I don't wanna but I did, and we were rehearsing a song um, that we were going to sing second called Holy Spirit, and there's a part of the song that says, let us become more
0: aware of your presence, let us become I don't remember what the lyric is, we'll get there in a second, but I was thinking, I was
1: singing that in rehearsal, and I thought, that's the only way that I'm going to want to lead worship tonight, is if the Holy Spirit comes and anoints it, and blesses it, and takes my frustrating,
0: irritating day, and replaces it with his presence, and his goodness, Let's let's
1: sing Holy Spirit you.
0: Of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free and my shame is under Your presence.
2: ABF online. It's been a few weeks since I've been with you. You know what this weekend is, don't you? This is Valentine's weekend. I may be saving your bacon, some of you guys who might have forgotten what this weekend is. Alas, not to fear. We're so glad that uh, you're a part of our ABF experience. And uh, just want to let you know, go online and download our on our social media platforms some fun date night questions as we Uh, celebrate this Valentine's weekend. And speaking of special events, let's surprise Pastor Scott and Adrian. It is their 22nd wedding anniversary. Yes, on Sunday, February 14th. So blow up their emails there and text them and wish them a happy, happy wedding anniversary, 22 and counting. All right. Hey, uh, there's a few other things we should be aware of. Uh, we know that many of you are loving the fact that you can just text us at 97000 9-7-0-0-0 for a prayer request, and so we would love for you to continue to do that. We want to pray for you. Let us know how we can support you in that way. Also, uh, we have a women's hike coming up on February 27th, and there'll be a time in the morning for some. Uh, devotions and then their hike, and there'll be plenty of details to come. And then for you men, not to be outdone, the women can go hiking, but we're going to go for the full-on men's full-of-meat breakfast on March 20. All the bacon you can eat, or maybe not all you can eat, but we're looking forward to that as well. We'll give you more details on that men's breakfast on the 20th. Then uh, February 21st, we have our uh, marriage essentials class. It's always the third Sunday morning of the month, 9 a.m. in the well. And maybe uh, you'd like to venture out. We'd love to have you join us and then come to church outside uh, in our amphitheater. Well, that's what's going on so far this week. And we know there's lots of other things that compete for your attention. But we're so glad that you've taken attention to the whole idea of giving as well. We are so blessed by a church that's generous and thinking of the needs of others, and so we want to thank you again. A couple of ways you can give. You can give online. You can mail your church check-in, or if you come and happen to see us on a Sunday, you can drop it in the box at church. If there's, again, anything that we can do for you, we want to make connections during this time, so God bless you, and we're looking forward to what Pastor Scott shares again this morning. All
1: right. Thanks, John. And I just want to wish you all a happy Valentine's Day and uh, Valentine's weekend for that. And uh, before we continue just in the service where we dive into God's word, uh, back by popular demand, uh, we have a special Valentine's edition of our food delivery. So check out this video.
2: Chris, what are you doing? Violin. Valentine's Day, yo. That's right! And that's why we're
1: dressed up like this. Because we're going to go do a food delivery and make it all romantic and stuff. Romantic. Tommy and Annie Knapp, get ready, because here we come.
0: See you soon. See ya. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza bite, that's amore. When there's something and there's like pasta for you, some more.
1: Happy Valentine's Day, guys. Happy
2: Valentine's Day. Come on over. We're going to show you to your seats. Mm-hmm. So, this is what we've got here.
0: Bon Appetit! Bon Appetit! Bon Appetit! Bon Appetit! Richie! Very richie! Happy Valentine's Day! Happy Valentine's Day! Happy Valentine's Day!
1: Well, welcome back, and uh, we got to have a little bit of fun on Valentine's. Thanks, uh, Josh, for your energy and uh, participation there. And uh, thanks, Matt, for joining us here uh, this evening as we record... Uh, another session just as we continue uh, in our study in the book of John's. As I think about Valentine's Day, man, I'll tell you, Valentine's is always a huge deal in the Kegel household. If you hadn't connected this, Adrian and I actually got married on Valentine's Day, so we're celebrating our 22nd anniversary. So it's a pretty big deal, and every year I look forward to the opportunity to confess my undying love for my beautiful bride. She teases me, it's about consolidating gifts. Uh, But either way, in all honesty, I'm super grateful for her. And uh, one thing I I really appreciate about her is her uh, loyalty, and uh, I've seen that myself, but I've seen that on display with really... Everybody, if you don't know this about Adrian, you cannot get her to say something negative about somebody if you try, and I have tried. She's always committed to defending anyone for any reason and really has a really short memory. I'm grateful for that as well, uh, for any wrong done. And so what a, a, a beautiful uh, woman outside and inside, grateful for her in 22 years. Well, as we're diving into today's text, it's actually very uh, fitting uh, because it really addresses some, uh, just a number of components of human relationships uh, that I think are relevant in a fallen world, whether you see the title there, Betrayal, Love, or Good Intentions. Basically, lessons in all three of those different arenas we can glean from our section of scripture today. I was thankful for uh, last week, uh, Josh walking us through. I basically gave him a slam dunk uh, passage uh, for the church and serving. And uh, I always get the hard ones and pass on the nice, uh, easy ones for Josh. But just in a form of recap of where we left off, really Jesus after washing the disciples' feet, which is just an unbelievable demonstration of service. After that, if you remember, he predicts his own betrayal, but he wants to make sure that they're clear that he's still in complete control. Just look with me just briefly at John 13, 18. He says, I know whom I have chosen, referring to Judas, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me or betrayed me. I am telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am am he. Other words, modern translation, boys, things are about to get crazy. In a few hours, I want you to know that it was by my design, not because I chose disciples poorly or lost control of the situation. This was all prophesied. I don't want the events of the next few days to shatter your faith, but to reinforce it. I love that. He's reminding them. He's reminding them, even in the moments that seem completely out of control, that I am he. I am he. In fact, in the original language, it leaves off the word he, and it's just believe that I am. Another sign of his deity, reminding them that no matter how crazy things get, he is still reigning on the throne above before We even get into today's passage. I think some of us need to be reminded of that on a weekly occurrence, that God is still reigning and ruling over 2020, over now 2021, over our country, over our world. It's a wonderful foundational verse. It's a reminder that our circumstances, as bleak as they may seem, are still a part of God's greater plan that are for his glory and our ultimate good. I'm excited to get into today's passage, though. Let me just pray before we do that. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to gather around your word. And it is something that's worthy of gathering around, even a couple thousand years after things were written or spoken, to gather around them because they're, God, they're your words. They're directed through you. Your spirit led these men to write down These words, we're excited to see what you have for us in this text, that you'd speak to us, that you'd even grow our understanding of you, grow our understanding of relationships and how they work, what an appropriate response to betrayal is, all of the things that you have for us in this text. I invite that now on the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we're uh, starting in chapter 13, verse 21 for the section we're going to hone in on today. And this is what it says, verse 21. It says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do it quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said, said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. We'll pause there so much to uh, unpack whereas the first reminder that I had before reading this section was the fact that God is reigning and in control, complete, uh, uh, completely in control of all of these circumstances. We also see here, based on his response when it says he was troubled in his spirit, that he's in control, but he's not detached. He still feels it. You still have the, the perfect blend of God and man our Savior's heart breaks anytime an image bearer rejects him. Any, anytime an image bearer rejects him, that's a, a heartbreaking thing, and that's what he's about to experience. Not to mention the betrayal of anyone, doesn't matter who you are, is something that stings. Some of us watching this video even now can bring to mind a circumstance or a situation where somebody that they they trusted, somebody that they leaned into, betrayed them, and man, that leaves a scar. But we were married. How could you do this? You were my best friend. How could you say that? You're my son or you're my daughter. How could you go down that road? We served together all those years. How could you do that? There's all kinds of memories that are conjured up whenever we talk about betrayal. But here we see that the savior that we lean into is somebody that can empathize with us. In fact, I imagine that it was probably amplified how hard it would be when you knew it in advance. Most of us, when we're betrayed, we didn't see it coming. Imagine harder knowing who and when and what was going to happen. Not surprising, the disciples want to find out, well, who is this person? Who's going to be the one that Jesus says is going to betray him? So you see a little bit of the conversation behind the scenes. You imagine it was fairly tense after Jesus said that in that room. Peter asked John to ask Jesus who it is. I have to pause though for a moment to point out how our author John himself refers to himself in the text Says one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. I thought that was the the best self-description ever. I wonder if each disciple thought that they were Jesus's favorite. Don't you wonder that? Like if they were all convinced because of the way that he loved them so passionately that they all felt that kind of love. We joke around with our kids. A lot of times they'll ask us, so am I your favorite? We'll tease with them and I'll tell Alexa, I'm like, Alexa, you are my absolute favorite Alexa. Because I don't really know any other Alexas that I love as much of, or I say that I know that I can say that with integrity, or Chase, you're my favorite Chase, or Sienna, you're my favorite Sienna. I wonder if each one of them was so well-loved that they all thought that they were his favorite. Either way, for us as believers to have to rest in that same assurance of love. If you're a child of God, you don't have to wonder if you're a, a, somewhere down on the totem pole. You are fully and completely loved by him. But here, as he's interacting these uh, with them, uh, they're trying to figure out who it is that's going to betray him. And it's interesting in other accounts that tell the same story, Matthew 26 explains that Judas kind of plays dumb in this. He even says to Jesus, is it I, rabbi? As if he didn't know. But you notice Jesus's words, it says, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. I was reading a little bit about that this past week and what that meant. That was a demonstration of a couple of different things. One, it was a demonstration of honor that the main host would be passing on a morsel to you. It'd be kind of like a, dipping a, a piece of, of meat or bread in a sauce and handing it to him. It was an act of friendship. To me, what's heartbreaking when you think about Judas's story is this is Jesus, even to the very end, To the very finish, before betrayal, still reaching out, extending love to Judas. To me, it's fascinating. It should have caused a response, a a melting down and repentance, a tearing up, but instead you see a demonstration of Judas's heart by his lack of response to this act of love. I always find it fascinating that we have a savior that's willing to accept us even when we're when we're when he's our very last resort. Can you imagine anybody else somebody comes to you after they've tried everything that the world offers you'd be like, "No, thank you. You I'm not going to be your last," but instead Jesus until the very end would be willing to embrace whoever calls out to him. To me it's a little bit strange that the group there didn't get it. When you read that, don't you think like, I, I think like, man, he made it pretty clear. He said, whoever I give this to, that's the betrayer. And then he gives it to Judas. I'm not really sure why. It get, John gives some explanation that seems to point to the fact that they were confused about it. But either way, regardless of the reason why, maybe they didn't want that to be true. Regardless of the reason why, you see how it plays out. Jesus tells him, it says, what you are going to do, do it quickly. Back to my conversation a little earlier, just about God being in complete control of everything. Notice that even his betrayal is at Jesus's bidding. Nothing happens outside of God's plan in any of this. But we do realize that this is probably hard on Jesus because this was the crossroad where he finally releases Judas to his own sin. He turns him over. And that's something that a wise person, as we're trying to glean lessons from this, that's something that a wise person learns over time, that there's a certain point in relationships where, man, you've tried everything possible. And then there's a turning over to allow somebody to go the direction they're going to go where you have to finally say the path you're choosing is not the path that I can support. I can't walk with you towards your own destruction. Now, this isn't permission to cut off somebody as soon as they do something dumb. It's not a cancel culture idea, but there is a threshold where you're no longer helping. You're instead enabling and there's a cutting off. And sometimes in relationships, that's necessary. I remember when I was, in college, really college for me was a a huge turning point. I was really walking away from the Lord pre-college and college was a coming back. And so I had to shed some of the, the friendships that I had in high school. I remember coming back from college on Christmas breaks or whatever. And I had one particular friend that I spent so much time with, his name was Lewis. And just, man, it was so heartbreaking because I knew the direction that I was going was not going to mesh with the world that he was a part of any longer. It was a tough love situation. We see there what happened once Jesus releases him. Notice what it says happens. It says, Satan entered him. I think that's important for us just in a moment here just to explain a little bit of how that works. What what does it mean, Satan entered him? Scripture's really clear on this whole idea of being demon-possessed. In this situation, it wasn't just any demon. It was the head demon, Satan himself, that enters into into Judas. Demon possession is this, where you've given over a little ground, a little ground, a little more ground, a little bit more ground, and eventually there's no longer control. The enemy takes over, and it's a scary idea and a possibility of what happens outside of Christ. Somebody might ask, well, well, can can that happen for a believer? I would say no, that you can't have the cohabitation of the Holy Spirit in a demonic presence. But in this case, it wasn't an issue because clearly Judas had rejected Jesus in all of his efforts to reach out to him with his love. The other idea that you see in scripture is not just possession, it's the idea of oppression. You get, sometimes people get that confused and a believer will be like, man, it sure seems like there's spiritual attack after spiritual attack. There's a difference between when the enemy has taken over complete reign in your life and when he just keeps on prodding, keeps on tempting, keeps on pushing. That's spiritual oppression and that can definitely be the part of a believer's life. And that's what our Lord and Savior wants to give us victory over. He wants to provide the strength to resist and to live in the victory that he's given us on the cross. But here, John ends this section explaining how it plays out. He says, he immediately went out and it was night. Basically, when he's referring to this, it's more than just the time of day. Judas was entering a darkness he would never return from. From light to night, from light to night, when we turn our lives over to the enemy, we have to understand that that only ends one way. When we're not walking in the light, when we resist and reject God's efforts of reaching us, ultimately, that's only going to bring us to a place of death. The enemy is the ultimate betrayer. He promises life and fulfillment, but instead He offers only death. And when you look at Judas's life, you realize that's ultimately where it leads. Ultimately to him taking his own life as we will see as the story unfolds. It's hard to watch though, Judas... You think about it, he was handpicked by Jesus as one of the disciples. He had spent the last three years with him day in and day out. He had seen all the miracles, he had experienced the love, the service, he had heard the preaching, and still he rejected Jesus. One of the hard things for us to understand and for us to grasp is this is the hard reality, is that when the story is all when this story is all said and done, some Will bring God glory because of his mercy, and some will bring God glory because of his justice. Man, as a ambassadors of Jesus Christ, wouldn't you so much rather the people in your circle of influence to bring him glory through his mercy? That's why we continue to reach out with his love and grace. We'll continue in the text, verse 31. When he had gone out, referring to Judas, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him, recognizing that this is the beginning, first step, taking him to the cross. Verse 32, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Notice a little bit of a tone change there. Sometimes once there's tension in a relationship and that person leaves the room, all of a sudden there's a Exhale, and you see this even in the resp- the way that he interacts with his disciples. What does he refer to them as? As tender statement, as little children. He explains to them so that they can set up their expectations. I'm not gonna be with you much longer. Think about that. It's easy to blaze past that in the text, not realize what traumatic news that would be for the disciples. They had just been with them constantly for the last three years. It'd be like the loss of a family member, someone that you can't imagine life without. I learned this last week, a story about Theodore Roosevelt. He was discovering in the very same day, within hours of each other, he discovered the loss of both of his mother and the loss of his longtime wife. He wrote down a, a powerful statement just a couple Uh, words in his own journal that day. He said, the light has gone out of my life. The light has gone out of my life. I imagine as the disciples are hearing this, man, they must've had the full gamut of emotions. They must've felt like the light was leaving their life. How could they be, how could they continue on without him? Find it interesting that Jesus consoles them Kind of a strange way. What does he say to them? After he explains where I'm going, you cannot come. Verse 34, you see it there. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. I'm like, man, if, if you're wanting to console somebody that's broken up about you leaving, are you really gonna say, well, I'm leaving, but good news, I've got a new commandment for you. Like so, sometimes when you listen to actually listen to the words of Jesus, you gotta wonder some of the, the the thinking behind it, but really it wasn't a shortage of thinking. It was actually a picture of what the church is supposed to be. This new commandment was not to be a solace, but it was to keep on going what they had experienced with them. That's the the passing on of the baton. They had received all of this love. Now he's saying, listen, I'm giving you a way to keep what we had and keep it snowballing forward. I want you to be me to each other. That's why the church is called the body of Christ. The body of Christ, we get to actually demonstrate the same love that he demonstrated to us. Now, when it says this, he explains that this is a a new commandment. That was another thing that I wrestled through in all honesty this past week, I'm like, that's not really a new commandment. In fact, Leviticus 19.18 says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're like, so how is that actually new? Confession time. Any uh, Air One listeners in the group? Anybody uh, listen to that station? My question for you Air One listeners is how long will they be the new Air One? Doesn't that drive you crazy? It's like, you can't say that Forever. But here, this is not the case. Jesus isn't making something that's old and just calling it new. There's something that sets apart this new commandment because the reason what makes it new is really what's been demonstrated in this entire book. The pattern where John demonstrates something that he's pointing to a spiritual truth that he demonstrates and then speaks about. Jesus, think about it. He demonstrates Uh, feeding a crowd, and then he talks about being the bread of life. He demonstrates healing a blind man. Then he talks about being the light of the world. He heals Lazarus. Then he talks about being the resurrection and the life. Here in this case, he's saying, listen, I'm calling you to love, but now you're being told to love just as I have loved you how I have loved you, you finally have an example to look to. It's not just an ambiguous idea of love. Sometimes around around, uh, uh, Valentine's, we throw around the word love and it's no big deal. It loses something. But Jesus is saying, I actually have some teeth to this. It actually has some substance to it. When I say love, it actually means something. And what would they most associate right now in this moment to a demonstration of love? Josh, what's the last thing they experienced? Feet washing. Feet washing, ding, 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 ding. That is absolutely right. You think about that. He's saying, I've demonstrated it to you. I've shown what love looks like, rolling up my sleeves, getting down on my, on my knees, being willing to get in the grime, in the dirt, putting my needs be, behind yours. That's the demonstration That's what's new about this commandment. Now you have a visual demonstration of what it looks like. You know how to do it. It's something that we're supposed to model. I was thinking about this in the last week and when you're kind of assessing some of these things of serving and and putting others before yourself. My question for you as we try to translate this to present day, my question for you is what grade... Would you give yourself as far as serving other people rather than serving yourself? How are we doing with that? Are we countercultural? Because our, our world wants to tell us it's all about me, 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 but what we're called to is just the opposite. Just the opposite, where we're serving the needs to loving one another in the same way Jesus demonstrated it to us. I also notice of how it's intended to work because sometimes we need the real practical. Well, how does this work? Notice here that it starts with the love within the church. He says, love one another. It starts with believers. And then when it's happening within believers, people, we're told, will know. People, and when he's saying people, in other words, people outside of the church, are going to notice, man, there's something different there. There's something going on with these people. They're they're rolling up their sleeves and putting on fake mustaches and delivering random meals to to people in the, the middle of the week. Like, what is up with these wacko people? What's going on with that? That's the kind of demonstration we're intended to do. So where do we start? We start with our immediate family. How are you doing with loving and serving your wife? How are you doing with loving and serving your husband? How are you doing with loving and serving your kids? How are you doing with loving and serving the people that are in your life group, your community, the people you're serving here with the church? And maybe the question that some of us need to ask is am I engaged enough with the church in order to actually serve and love the church? Or am I just watching from a distance? Here, you notice that this love is what they're calling to. And when we're wondering what it looks like, man, I'll tell you what, 1 Corinthians, even though it's primarily used in a wedding ceremonies, it captures it perfectly. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient, it's kind, doesn't envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's what we're invited to. That's what he calls us to as his disciples. How do, you, how do you make up for his absence? He's like, man, you just keep it going by loving each other like I loved you. That's what consoles us and that's what sustains us in his absence. Continue in verse 36. Simon's about to learn that you can't do any of this in your own strength. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Pretty powerful uh, interaction there. Lord, Lord, where are you going? This question tells us something about where Peter is at. Peter still didn't grasp the reason Jesus had come. Didn't realize the, the ultimate purpose that he was marching towards the cross to absorb the the sins of the world. When he's asking, why can't I come with you? That should have connected some dots and realized, man, you're not ready to carry the weight of the sin of the world. Jesus explains to him. He says, you can't come, but you can follow later. Kind of like talking to a little kid. You think about what that follow later looks like. We don't know if that means follow him ultimately to heaven or the way that Peter eventually died, being crucified upside down. Either way, Peter at this point in time is trying his best to express his loyalty to him. He's trying to express that. He has some really good intentions. But in this, Peter is confronted with his self-reliance. We all have our tendency to be overconfident in our commitment level. But when hardship comes, sometimes it reveals and exposes not quite where we thought it was at jesus doesn't seem angry with peter seems so matter of fact he says the rooster will not crow till you have denied me 3 times in other words an entire night just one night will not pass before you've denied me to people you've you've rejected me what 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 in the world is this man that was had all these, and this was the top disciple. If there was the, the big mouth, confident disciple, this is the one, if anyone was going to go to the death with them, it would have been Peter. Basically, this is a gentle rebuke for overconfidence in the flesh. You can't trust your own ability to stand. That's so important for us still today. Sometimes we think that I need to just try harder. I need to I need to resist harder. I need to I need to work on this character quality and Jesus is like, "Nah, any of that that you're trying to do, you're going to continue to fall." That's why 1 Corinthians 10:12 says, "Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall." Don't think that you can do it on your own. This is a wonderful reminder that we're dependent on him for the enabling power of transformation in our life. He's not just the what rescues us from our sin, it's what rescued us ongoing from habitual stuff, from stuff that's got a grip on us. It's only through his strength that we're able to do it. Basically in this text, if you think about it, you basically have two types of betrayers. You have Judas, who would be evil and self-motivated. We can all agree on that. He was, I mean, if there was a a heartless person for him to to walk out of that room this evening, that was demonstrated. And then you have the evil and self-motivated and you also have the foolish and self-confident. The foolish and self-confident. Here's the thing though. What I love what we learn about this is when you think about how Jesus interacts with them, it's very different. Jesus notice at the beginning he didn't say one of, he didn't say two of you are going to betray me even though that would have been accurate instead he says one of you is going to betray me because he understood and he's patient with foolish self-confident people that's encouraging isn't it To me, I find hope in that because uh, there's one thing when you have a a hard heart, then there's like, man, there's not much we can do about it. But when you're just foolish and naive and overzealous and, and all of that, God's like, all right, I can do something with that. Somebody with good intentions. See, a lot of times we give people with good intentions a hard time. I would say it's actually good news if someone has good intentions because that says something about where their heart is. And Jesus can work with good intentions. I think that's for me out of this passage. That was my takeaway out of anything uh, more than anything else, that good intentions actually matter with Jesus. He orchestrated these events. He knew our tendency to blow it. He knew that, that Peter was a big talker and not real great on action, but he was willing to work with them because he knew it was motivated from the right thing. Intentions... Were linked to the heart. God and G- through Jesus orchestrated all of these events. Now you think about it, all of this was being orchestrated big picture for our salvation. But at the same time, he was orchestrating these events to build a degree of faith in these men that was rooted in a confidence of him, not themselves, that would then launch the church. That would then lead to us being here still a couple thousand years later, worshiping him. He was laying that foundation and he wants to lay that exact same foundation for us. This was the road Peter needed to go down. Jesus isn't just orchestrating our salvation. He's also orchestrating our sanctification. Tell you what, these should be stabilizing verses for us. Wonderful reminders, one of the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. Two of the invitation that he gives to us to a selfless existence, to continue on what he started. That's what truly living looks like. I love this Valentine's Day as an opportunity to reflect on some of these things, some of the betrayal, but yet God's love and mercy, even to the very last moment of, for us, the, the good intentions actually matter and the most important that he's called us to live a life of love like he did. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this passage and picture that you've painted of what relationships should look like. What was different about that law was you demonstrated how it's lived out. My prayer is that we would follow suit. Even in the week ahead, we'd look for opportunities to to love and serve and put others' needs before our own. The natural tendency is to live for self. We need your help. Holy Spirit, even in these moments, God, you'd start prompting and changing and shaping our hearts to be less about self and more about others. We can only do that when you're reigning and ruling. God, so we submit to you now in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Thank you again, amen.
0: You come to the end of the Do you... Altar, the Father's arms are open.
1: church well again thank you for being with us online as always any way we can serve you or ways that we can love you and extend jesus to you this week feel free to let us know we'll do our best in the meantime trying to find ways creative ways whether it means a meal being dropped off or whatever a phone call ways that we can serve you god bless you we love you have an amazing week